Let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer. Father, thanks so much for this day. Open our hearts as we study now your word. Help us to remember it. Thank you so much for this opportunity in Christ's name. Amen. Um, today we're going to study, start the study of Christology. What is Christology? It's the doctrine of Christ. And why is this important? This is important because your eternal destiny depends on how you answer the question, who is Jesus and what does he do? That's where your eternal destiny hangs. Um, one of the things that you find if you uh, are around much at all is that there's a lot of different Jesuses out there, isn't there? Um, when somebody comes up to you and they say they believe in Jesus, the first question you should ask them is, uh, okay, which Jesus is it that you believe in? There's a lot of them out there. Um, even in First John, it says there's a lot of false Christs out there. There's a lot of antichrists. Now, when we think of antichrist, we use that word anti, and what do we usually think of? Against, all right? We think that there's a lot of folks out there that are against Christ. Well, in the Greek text, anti or anti can mean one of two things. It can mean against, and uh, we often use it like that, but it can also mean instead of. Um, when the final Antichrist comes to this world, how does he pass himself off to the Jewish people? Hi, I'm, I, I'm not here against the Messiah. I'm here as the Messiah. Anti, and instead of Messiah. So one of the things you've got to worry about is out there, there's a lot of instead of Jesuses out there. And you've got to be sure that since your eternal destiny hangs on who is Jesus and what did he do, you've got to get that question right. I mean, Christ asked the disciples, remember, who do you say I am? That was the great question. He asked them, well, what are people saying I am? Who, you know, what's people's opinion of me? Well, you know, some say you're Elijah, some say you're one of the other prophets. But who do you say I am? And what was Peter's, question, or Peter's answer? Uh, to Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's interesting because then Christ immediately said, Wow, Peter, that was really bright on your part. You got the answer correct. What did he say? You didn't figure that out on your own, buddy. <laughs> you didn't figure that out on your own. You didn't. That's not Peter's intelligence at work. That's the Holy Spirit at work. That's the Father at work. The only way you can recognize who Jesus is is that God has to give you the ability to see who he really is. And one of the important things that we need to believe in our own hearts and we need to proclaim and we need to stand firm on is there's a whole lot of Jesuses out there, but there's only one that's the real one. I remember when I was growing up as a little kid, we had an old black and white TV and one of the shows was to tell the truth. You ever remember that one? Some of the old one, old people in here? Young ones, you, youngsters, you probably don't remember that. The whole idea was to get three people on there and they, you got, they got a panel of experts and they're trying to figure out, okay, who's the real car salesman here? You know, because they're all, they ask them questions and, and uh, finally at the end, you know, will the real car salesman please stand up? And, and they all start to get up and then only one of them stands up. That's an old TV show. But the question is, we got to find the real Jesus because there's a whole lot of them out there. Um, when you got a couple of guys come to your door with uh, white shirts on and they have a little tag called Elder of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they believe in Jesus. It's not the one that we believe in. It's a different one. It's not the same Jesus. When they say they love Jesus, that doesn't mean they love our Jesus. 
And when they say they believe that Jesus is the Son of God, they, they do not believe Son of God means what we believe Son of God to mean. And when they say that Jesus died for their sins, they mean something different than what we say when we believe that Jesus died for our sins. And the Jehovah Witnesses come to your door and try to sell you the watchtower. They believe in Jesus. They got the wrong one. Their Jesus is a created being. He's not the Son of God. Now, they'll say He is, but don't listen to that. They'll try to twist you around in knots and try to make you believe that their Greek experts have figured out the Greek New Testament and they haven't because no Greek scholar in the world will translate the Bible the way they do. No reputable Greek scholar. And then there's the Muslim Jesus. They believe in Jesus. They believe that Jesus is a prophet, even. They revere, they revere Jesus as a prophet. But then you ask them, well, what does that mean? And they mean something totally different. See, Jesus is a prophet, but Muhammad is better than Jesus. And then there's the New Age Jesus. Who's he? Well, he's some kind of being, ascended being, or whatever, that's helping us poor schmucks on our way up to ascendancy. He's sort of giving us a hand. All kinds of flavors of who Jesus is. Folks, it's important to find out who the real Jesus is. And the way you find out who the real Jesus is, is you go to the book. You go to the scriptures, and you know, the scriptures tell us who he is. And we've already talked somewhat about this. We've talked about Jesus being the Son of God, being deity incarnate. We're going to spend quite a bit of time talking about the deity and humanity of Christ and how that all sorted out um, and how we understand that to be. But Jesus is fully God, fully man. He's not an oddball third kind of being. He is 100% man. He's 100% God together. We don't understand that. We accept that because that's what the scripture tells us. But in this class, in these 12 to 13 weeks, we're going to explore Jesus. We're going to explore what he is like. We're going to explore his origins, his person, his work, what he did, why he came. And we're going to look at all of these different things. When we talk about the doctrine of Christ, this is really the essential doctrine of the Christian faith. This along with soteriology go hand in hand. And why is Jesus so important? Well, how do you know what God is like? What did Jesus tell you? You want to know who God is like? What do you do? You look at me. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, or not Hebrews 12, Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, it tells us that God spoke in various ways and at various times to the fathers in the past, in these last days, spoken to us through His Son. Jesus is the final, complete, and full revelation of who God is. There's nothing else to be gained. Jesus is the full revelation. He, he ended all of the questions about who is God. He came in the flesh. And remember what his name, Emmanuel, means. God with us. God with us. So when we talk about Jesus Christ, we talk about the doctrine of Christology. It includes many things. Uh, it includes the virgin birth. Oh, and by the way, that is an essential. You do realize that? Jesus was born of a virgin. And why is that essential? Well, if he was born of a man, what kind of man is he? Sinful. He can't, yeah, that, that means he can't be our savior. He had to bypass the imputed guilt of Adam. We'll talk about that. He had to bypass the corruption that we all receive from our parents. We're born in sin. Why? We're born with a propensity to sin. We don't need, you don't need to teach kids to sin. They do it very well on their own. They don't need any help. 
But the virgin birth is essential. The deity of Christ is essential. He is God. He is not a God. And we've talked about this a little bit when we're talking about the Trinity. He is God. In essence, He is God. Uh, he's also human. Why is that important? Can God die as God? No, but He can as a human, right? Now, don't go try to figure that out because it isn't going to work. But Jesus is fully human. He, he, he got thirsty. He got tired. He slept. He ate food. He walked. Now, how can he be fully human and fully divine? Beats me. I don't know. No theologians, theologians figured that one out yet. But he is. It talks about his death. Death on the cross. Why did he have to die? The substitute. In fact, that's really the view of the atonement. The substitutionary. We talk about the substitutionary death of Christ. What do we mean by that? He took your place. He took your place. You should have been hanging on that cross and then going to an eternal eternity in the lake of fire. And Jesus took your place. He stepped in front of the wrath of God and took it full force. And by the way, God did not lower the wrath on his son. Jesus Christ took the full brunt of wrath that we deserve. The full brunt, unmixed. God did not water it down. God did not let him off easy. He had to die in our place. He took our place on the cross. And then he rose again. This is important. It, and, and when we talk about resurrection, there's a lot of people that say, well, you know, he just resurrected in the minds of the apostles, you know, disciples. They just figuratively thought he resurrected again. No, 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 no. Jesus Christ rose physically, bodily from the grave. Why is that important? Why is it important that he rise physically, bodily? Since power is death, he broke the power of sin. And what does that imply for us? We'll rise as well. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 says, If Christ be not risen from the dead, your faith is vain. We ought to just quit, pack up, go play golf this morning, go out to have breakfast, and forget about church. If he didn't rise again from the dead, we're wasting our time. Let's go home. He rose again. He rose again physically. People saw him. And in fact, if you go back, and, and people have done this. They've gone and they've done a study on, um, did Jesus Christ really rise again from the dead? How can we attest that? And everyone who's done that has come away with the realization that this was indeed a fact of history. And that's very important. One side thing here, there's this, there's this sort of this uh, movement in Christianity and religion that says, well, you know, the, the, the reality of a resurrection is not really important. It's just what do you think about it? The reality of a real Adam and Eve, you know, you can have a real Adam, you can have a real Eve, doesn't matter because it's what you think about it. Whether there's a real Adam or Eve out there is totally irrelevant to the story, the moral story. Look, folks, Christianity is a religion based on historical facts. There was a day when Christ rose again from the dead. That was not something in our minds. That was a literal event. There was a day when he died on the cross. There was a day when he was buried. There was a day when he came into the world the first time. And there's coming a day when he comes into the world the second time. Ours was an historical phase. It's not based on myths and legends. Yes. Yes. Right. 
In fact, yesterday I, I heard a very good illustration of this, and I'd never thought of it before. Never thought of it, but um, a good friend of mine, I was at a, at a funeral of all places, and he gave a good gospel presentation. He brought out a very interesting point, and that is in the Old Testament, the imagery in the Old Testament of the Day of Atonement is the priest would have to get up early and have to do all kinds of different rituals and things. And on that day, one of the things he was to do is he had to take a basin of blood into the Holy of Holies. And he had to sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. Now, if there's anything you know about the Holy of Holies, that is a place where you just don't go traipsing in there. You don't go waltzing in there thinking that God will accept you. In fact, God says, if you don't come in exactly this way, doing exactly this thing, having prepared exactly this way, you're dead. You're dead. He would strike you dead. And uh, the priest would go in this holy of holies and he would take the blood and he would sprinkle it on the altar there, on the mercy seat. And then he would come out. And if he came out, what was, what was the people's reaction? God had accepted it. Jesus Christ figuratively went into the heavenly holy of holies. Hebrews tells us that. And he went into the heavenly holy of holies. He didn't take the blood of a bull and a goat. He took his own blood. And what did he do? He didn't just go into the holy of holies. He came out of the holy of holies. And what does that tell us? God accepted the sacrifice. Christ's resurrection is the validation of his sacrifice. It is the proof that God accepted his sacrifice on our behalf. And if you go and you deny the resurrection, you cannot be a Christian. If you deny the virgin birth, you cannot be a Christian. You may not understand it, but you can't deny it because he has to be God. He has to bypass sin. You can't deny his deity and be a Christian. You can't say Jesus is not God and say I'm going to go to heaven. No, it doesn't work that way. Christ says if you do not believe that I am, you're going to die in your sins. And where I'm going, you cannot come. If you don't believe in his humanity, how can he be your substitute, right? How can God die for you? He has to be like you. That's the whole point of Hebrews. If you do not believe that Jesus actually died on the cross, again, you're in trouble. See, there's a lot of people say, well, you know, he just passed out. And he revived in the tomb. That's, that's a really stupid statement to make. If you know anything about crucifixion, you'll know that after hanging with your extremities nailed to a piece of wood, having severe loss of blood, you're not going to revive in the cool of the tomb, unwrap yourself from the cocoon you're in, and push a two-ton stone out of the way, beat up the guards, and, steal, and take off into the night. All right? That's ludicrous. You're not going to do that. And by the way, the Romans were experts in death. They knew when you were dead. You got pierced on the side. And not only that, the Roman soldiers knew something else, too. If you weren't dead, guess, who, guess what happened to them? They were. I mean, that's the way, that's the way you work. You know dereliction of duty back then. Your court-martial was you were killed. They made sure they knew Christ was dead. Yes? And furthermore, how could they possibly explain the fact that he had a perfect 
body outside of the holes in his Yeah. Mouth. Other than that, he would have been black and blue and messed up. Yeah. Christ's resurrection body. The fact, you know, in heaven it's interesting. In heaven all our blemishes are going to be gone. I won't wear glasses. I'll have hair again. <laughs> and um, you'll be able to recognize me. Say, boy, you're looking a lot better. And I say, well, you're looking better too. Um, but uh, Christ at theirs is going to have eternally the marks. And why is that? Reminder. A reminder that he took our place. He paid the penalty that we deserve. And, and listen, every cult out there, every cult messes this up. Every cult. And when you watch the TV channel, the history and the discovery, they're going to always attack who Jesus is. He's not the son of God. He was just a misguided Jew. He didn't believe what he's... We say he said, the church put the words in his mouth, yada, 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 blah, 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 blah. Just ignore all that stuff. If you want to know who Jesus is, you go to the book. It'll tell you. The scriptures tell us who he is. So having talked about that, where do we start with Christ? Well, unlike us, Christ is pre-incarnate. He, is a pre-incarnate. he had a pre-incarnate existence. What do you mean by incarnate? In the flesh. So before Christ was born, he existed from eternity past. He is God. Now the Mormons take a twist on this by saying not only is Jesus, did Jesus have a pre-incarnate existence, but you all did as well. We, were all, we all did. Do you know that all of us are really, really, in their system of theology, really, really old? And in fact, before Elohim created this world, we were all there with him in heaven as his spirit children. And we all came up with the plan of redemption all together. That's really funky. But they say we're all pre-incarnate. Mormons. The Bible, however, says that we're not. Now, what they do is they say, well, we'll go back to the Old Testament where, you know, David says, or Jeremiah says, before I was born, you knew me. Say, see, 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 he had a pre-incarnate. See, that proves a pre-incarnate existence. Well, since God is outside the boundaries of space and time, and God knows everything. Did God know you before you were born? Yes. It doesn't mean that you had existed at that time. He just knew you at that time. Because he's omniscient. He knows everything. It's not that you existed prior to birth. There's nothing in the scripture that says that you existed in a spirit state floating around the astral plane prior to birth. There's nothing in the scriptures that say that. In fact, the scriptures teach that when did you come into existence at conception? We'll talk about that. That's, a, that's, a, that's anthropology coming up. But you came into existence at the moment of conception. You did not exist prior to your birth. However, Christ did. Because he is the second person of the Trinity. He always was. So prior to his coming as a human baby... He was existent as the eternal second person of the Trinity. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Now, oh, go on. Would it be fair to say that the idea of God pre-existed in God's mind? God knew you. God knew Ruth Stevens before time began. Go figure that one out. He knew you personally. 
Before anything existed, he knew you. He knew what you would be like. He knew who you would marry. He knew where you would live. He knew, he knew all of that. Yeah. He knew all of that. And he knew me. That's a wild thought. Everybody. God knows everything. Now, of those that God... And again, there's a mystery there that God chose me before time began. We'll, we'll sort that out later, hopefully, in, a, in, a, in another class. But God knew us because he knows everything. He knew us personally. And that's, he just didn't know, well, there's going to be somebody out there called Alan that, you know, I don't know exactly what he's going to do, but no, he knew me. As the all of God, he knew, academically, he knew everyone. But then when we talk about the elect, it, it actually uses a personal term for knowledge, so like kind of an answer to Joshua. Yeah. He knew everyone, but you, as an elect, he knew you relationally um, before time began. So that's, uses a different word there when it talks about that yeah. and, and that's one of those things where you just got to take it for what it says and go with it because you're not going to sort it out. Well, I wanted to say one thing about because it's, there's, um, I mean, just because he's all-knowing, he knows that. So, I mean, we can just kind of say, all right, cool, he's all-knowing, he knew what was going to be, so, you know, he knew what he, how he was going to create the universe and everything, so, like, there's not necessarily a paradox there, you know, it's just, it's just a big thing Yeah. yeah. Yeah, as the second person of the Trinity, he existed for all of eternity. He did not begin. That's that's a that's a very important concept. Christ had no beginning. Because if Christ had a beginning, he would not be omniscient, right? By definition, the only way you can be omniscient is you have to exist forever. Because if you didn't exist forever, you wouldn't know what happened before you existed, right? So you couldn't be omniscient. Go think about that over lunch. And you couldn't be sovereign, right? Because you would not, you would not have control over your creation. And you certainly wouldn't be omnipotent, right? Because you had a beginning. Christ has all those attributes. We're going to look at those. Which shows that he is eternally existent. In John 1, 1 through 18, it's a very important passage. Um, and it says, In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning. What's the beginning talking about there? Beginning of time, right? So in the beginning of time, when everything began, who was? The Word. It was. It's not... It didn't come into being. It was already there at the beginning. Do you, see, you follow that? It was there. So when the Jehovah's Witness come along and say, well, you know, this is telling us that the Word had a beginning. That's baloney. That's garbage. He already was there in the beginning of time. Before anything existed, He already was. All right? And it says, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see, you see uh, the concept of Trinity there. The Word is separate from God, 
But the Word was always there. And it said the Word was God. Now, they would, Jehovah Witnesses come and say, well, that's really not what the Greek text says. And they'll try to whip that out on you. And they'll say, well, the word, the word there says he was a God. Not God, but a God. Okay? Well, any Greek scholar out there will tell you that that's not the way you translate the Greek construction. The Greek construction is what they call, I'm going to give you a fancy word here, called anarthros. That's a fancy word. It just means it doesn't have an article. Okay? And in the Greek text, whenever you have an anarthros construction, it is comparing the two things as equality. Okay? See what I'm saying? If there's no con con construction there, there's no A or anything like that, the two things it's talking about, really the Greek text and the word God. That's what the Greek says. And the word God. And that construct always refers to, or always implies that whatever it's, the two things are, they're equal. Christ was God. There's no way around it, folks. This is translated correctly. Don't let anybody shucker you into making you think that it's not. One thing that's really important about that construction, too, is that if we had the definite article, you know, in English, the is the definite article. We say, you know, we'll say the cat rather than cat, so it could be any cat. But it's really important that, so a lot of people say, why didn't it just say, and the word was, the God, just so there's no confusion. Well, there's a reason why we didn't do that. It's often the God, or ha, what, what am I saying? Theos, um, is, refers to the Father. So by not putting a definite article on there, we can show differentiation between the Word and the Father. It's, it is very clearly uh, giving the doctrine of the Trinity, maybe not in its fullest, but it's, it's showing that Christ or the Word is of the same substance as the Father, showing that He is God. Um, but it's but it's not saying that the Son is the Father, which is really important. That's showing the distinction of personhood. Um, but at the same time, the same essence, and the, just the detail of how you know John is writing this out to include the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, really, really. If you all read Greek, which you don't. But if you all read Greek and you pulled out your Greek New Testaments today, you would not be confused as to what this verse is saying. Well, and um, even, the, uh, even the, the translators of the New World Translation break their own rules. Even when they see that, you know, that, that kind of conception, that kind of phrasing, they translate it their own way every other time, except for right here when it shows that the word was God. That's when they throw in the A. They actually break their own translation rules. Yeah. And what they do is they translate according to their theology. Alright? We're going to talk about that when we get to bibliology, how you translate the scriptures. The New World Translation is really the New World mistranslation of the Greek text. And what they do is they systematically um, alter the text to fit their theology. All right, but the point here, this, this, they're always going to pull out the Jehovah Witnesses will always pull out this verse and try to make you think that while well, the Greek text says a God, it does not. It never has, and no Greek scholar in the world will tell you that it does. This is saying the Word is God, 
And says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, the Jehovah Witnesses will say, well, okay, he was there in the beginning, um, and he made everything else, but he himself was made by God. That's how they get around that one. God created the Word, the Word created everything else. Now, that's baloney. In the beginning, what does it say in Genesis 1-1? God created. It doesn't say the Word created there, right? It says God created Jesus is God. And Colossians says all things are made by him. And he is the glue that holds the creation together. If, God, if Christ stops holding this creation together, we go poof back to nothing. He is the creator. He had a pre-incarnate existence. Because it says later on in verse 14, And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. The word... The second member of the Trinity became human. But that second member of the Trinity has always existed from time past. Before time began, Christ was there because he is eternal God. Yeah, the reason Jesus is called the Logos, which means the Word, is because he's the voice of God. Thus he is in Genesis 1 and forward talking about let there be, and then it was. He is the speaker. Yeah, he is the, Christ is the member of the Trinity that gives us an understanding of who the Father is. He came to, he's in, in a Colossians here, it says, he is the icon, the stamp, the image, the express image of God. You want to know what God is like? Look at Christ. You got the answer. Christ is God. Christ is the full representation of who God is. And in the upper room, when he was asked, by his disciples, show us the Father. He says, if I've been so long with you and you haven't got it yet, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know who I am, what the Father is? Look at me. I'm the exact representative of the Father. And so when God wanted to communicate with us on what he was like, how did he do it? A booming voice from heaven? A music video? No. He became man. And the second person of the Trinity, he became man to show us what he was like. There's a song of Michael Carter, I can't even call it, I remember the title, but it says, and God spoke one final word. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what it says in Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 is a very important um, verse to look at. Let's go to Hebrews 1. There's a lot of confusion on, is Jesus God or not? And look, it's not really that confusing, folks. If you just read the Bible and take it for what it says, it's not tough to figure this thing out. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. I'm reading verse 1. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. I love that. That's... You know, it's easy to find out whose phone is going because they're, they're totally red, you know. <laughs> That's all right. And then look at verse, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Here you see the Trinity. And then 
this, I'm going to just read this. I don't even have to even, you know, exposit this. You just need to read the text. Having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. What name did Christ inherit? Lord. Philippians 2. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You're my son, today have I begotten you? You say that to any angelic being? See, what the writer of Hebrews is doing here is he's saying, Jesus is superior to angels. How is he superior to angels? Angels are servants. Jesus is the son. Did God ever tell an angel, today you're my son, I, today I begotten you? No. Or again, I will be to him a father, he will be to me a son. These are all quotes out of the Old Testament. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the, God's angels worship him. The firstborn, I think that's prototokos there. When, God, when he comes into the universe, who, who gets worship? An angel? No. God. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels his winds, his ministers a flame of fire. But to the sun, he says, thy throne, O God, is forever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. He's God, but God anointed God. Okay, just take it for that. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginnings. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They shall be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Who's he talking about? The sun. You're eternal. The universe wears out. It's going to be rolled up like a garment and tossed someday. But you know what? The, th the sun never changes. And to which of the angels have he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? He didn't say that to any angels. Folks, Jesus is God. There's no way around it. Just read the text. You don't even have to really know Greek to figure this one out. Thy throne, O God, is forever. How else are you going to interpret that? Jesus is God. And he existed before time began. And there came a day at the incarnation when he stepped into time. And the reason he stepped into time is to become like us, so that he could be a faithful high priest, as it says later on in Hebrews. Quickly here, so we can, we're going to go just a couple minutes over, but don't worry. The pre-incarnate Christ was active in the creation of the universe. You can read these verses yourself. He was active in the Old Testament. Whenever you see the angel of Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, that's a pre-incarnate Appearance of Christ. Uh, here's some of the uh, passages that you will find that in. And in many cases, for example, um, in the case of Samson, when uh, his parents were told of his birth, the angel of the Lord came and told them. If you remember, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah and his wife and told them that, they were, that Samson was to be a Nazarite from birth. And then the um, sacrifice there was burned up. The angel of the Lord disappeared. And what did Manoah and his wife said, say? We're going to die because we have seen God. They knew who the angel of the Lord was. And, and we get confused. Well, wait a minute. It's talking about the angel. Angel. What, what is that? Well, he, in Hebrew, it's messenger. Angels are messengers. And who is Christ? If you line up all the messengers from God, which is the one that really told us all about God? He did. He's the full messenger of God. All right? And we see a lot of appearances of him in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. Um, 
angel coming from Evangelion? No. Um, it's it's uh, Melak. The Hebrew word is Melak. Okay. Malachi is my messenger. Okay. The word, the, but it's Melak. And in the New Testament, it's Angelos, angel, messenger. Um, I'm not going to read through all of these passages. You can. But the coming of Christ is prophesied in the Old Testament again and again and again. The coming of the Messiah. Isaiah 9.6 Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. A clear representation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they're in the Old Testament. They should have figured that out. Micah 5, 2. Bethlehem Ephratah. Though small, yet out of you shall he come forth whose coming has been from old, from everlasting. That's not referring to somebody who... Christ did not come into being when he was born. He was always there. He stepped into time at his birth. Don't know. Don't know. But the Antichrist that coming, that's coming is going to pass himself off, at, off as Christ. Yes. Of course, when it comes to truth and the Antichrist, he's going to be accepted anyways. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about even what politicians do. Like, a lot of them say that. You know, well, that doesn't, no, not really. That doesn't matter. You know, I mean, like, people don't care. The the Jewish people are yeah yeah the Jewish people are going to see the Antichrist as being their Messiah and they're going to accept him as that and be schnookered by him so all right well we're going to have to stop there we'll go to his pre-existence or the deity of Christ um, next week um, let's close on word prayer again we got notes over there if you're taking it for credit I got your 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 self-test up here. You've already passed the test or passed the course. It's just for your own benefit to see how well you've figured or you've learned. And um, I got to sign up for next time too. So, Father, thank you for this day and thank you for teaching us in this time. And we pray that uh, we would under, we would pay attention and understand this about our Savior, about Christ. He is preexistent. He is our Savior, our Lord, our King. And he, along with you, is the creator of the universe. We just thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen.